Hello, everybody. Um, I know that we're a little late with the show this week, and I'll go ahead and apologize for that in advance. Um, just some stuff happened that was a little beyond my control. Uh, that being said, uh, I also wanted to point out we talk about Supernatural finale on this, and I wanted to make sure everyone had a bit of a chance to uh, catch up with it before they listened. There is a spoiler section. I want to say I say it's going to last three minutes. It really lasts more like four and a half. So uh, if you haven't watched yet, you might want to just go ahead and fast forward a little further than I tell you. Okay, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Richard, with me is Johnny. Yes, sir. And joining us shortly will be Greg. Um, we're <laughs> joining us about... as always is Greg. Just it'll be in process. Greg's Greg had some responsibilities he had to take care of before he could pop on. But you and I decided this is a great chance for us to talk supernatural, not bore the shit out of Greg. And then he'd yep. come back and be like, "That was a great show. I really enjoyed it. You guys didn't talk any nonsense. We did. You weren't here." <laughs> okay, so. Um, the Supernatural finale was this week. We had previously said that when Supernatural ended its uh, final season, we would kind of take it in its entirety and give our final thoughts on Supernatural. Um, I can honestly say that I did enjoy this final, what was it, six or seven episodes. Um, I thought that they did a really nice job wrapping it up. I know that it feels a little disjointed from the rest of the series because it came out so many months later. You could tell that there was a bit of a, like... I, I It had nothing to do with how they shot it. I think what changed was all of us during the break between the first and the second half. Which yeah, is well, crazy because, like, our filters that we take in information is so fundamentally changed because of what we have been going through that we kind of felt like I could have argued perhaps that this was shot at a completely different time than the first half of the season. Well, all of it was, I'm sorry, the last two episodes were shot at a completely different time. Everything prior to that was already shot, but I do understand what you're saying. It's just, it's, we are not receiving information the same way that we had because of how much craziness has gone on and we are fundamentally changed as human beings. So it was interesting to try to reconcile that between the last episode of the first half and the first episode of the second half moving into this past Thursday's finale. Yeah. And it was, it's interesting because I feel like also just the way that it kind of came about, like if you tell me I have, let's say six episodes to wrap up a TV series. I feel like I'm going to make every single one of those episodes count. Like every single one of them is going to be just so much information jam packed. There's going to be so much happening, but because of the way this was shot and because of the way that like the, the fact that they had everything up until the last two episodes shot, you had some random filler episodes in there that just felt a little bit out of place, if not still fun. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I also, I, I do understand what you're saying with having a fundamental difference in how you perceive things. I mean, just as an example, I can't tell you the number of times I'll watch something now and there'll be just a bunch of people in a crowd. <laughs> That's not COVID regulation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it, like I, I was watching the, the opening scene of this, I'm no real spoiler here. Mm-hmm. They end up at a fair. Uh, Akron Pie Fest, which, by the way, <laughs> under that name does not exist, but <laughs> there is an Akron Pie and Pint Fest that started last year. It so, is pies and beer. I will say this, just referencing the last episode, that was like, man, and I'm, I don't want to spoil stuff, but there was things happening where as they were happening, I was like, oh, I am going to be very sad by the end of this episode because there's too much. I have watched the show for too long to know that if something really good happens many times to one person, that person is going to have a bad day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the dog, will... the pie. I was like, I'm done. We'll, I can't we'll, watch this. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in a second. We'll, we will do spoilers. We'll, we'll, set, <laughs> we'll set a timer and we'll do spoilers. Um. But yeah, like I'm sitting there watching them at, at Akron Pie Fest and I'm like, there are a lot of people and no one is wearing a mask. <laughs> that is a super spreader event waiting to happen. Was this was this the Rose Garden? Did this happen yeah. at the Rose Garden? Yeah. <laughs> no wonder Ohio's having so many problems. <laughs> um No, it was good, man. I, I really enjoyed this season. I I definitely wouldn't put it up as my favorite season. And I know no. you might disagree with me. No, I, I don't. I, I, season 13, I felt like, was the season that I enjoyed the most. I would have to look up and see what happened in season 13 exactly. <laughs> is is that the is that Crowley's last season? I believe or is that season 12? I think it was 13. It's 12 or 13 was probably, like, my favorite season that they had. Just the intensity of the events was probably, like, one of my favorite things. Um... Yeah, man. I don't know. This season, I'd, I'd put it in probably the top. <laughs> this isn't going to sound good, but I don't know where to put it. I'd place it in the top 10 for all seasons, but I don't know if I could put it in the top five. And, you know, it, this com- kind of comes down to the whole thing of binge watching. Like, I started binge watching, and then you started binge watching, and I think we both started around season 10. Mm. Like, well, like, I want to say season 10 was airing at the time. To get, like, caught up again, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard for me to like differentiate seasons because in a lot of cases, it's literally just like, I watched season three and four (laughs) this week. It was just like X-Files. It was like a 23 episode slot where you just ran through. You're like, that was a good show. Oh my God. That was one season. Yeah. I got the same thing looking at Darkwing Duck where there's like 53 episodes. I was like, I can't rewatch that series. Yeah, but it, Dark, Darkwing Duck's weird. There's only, I want to say, two actual seasons, but the first one is like 53 episodes, and the it's second one's like much. 20. It's too yeah, much. No, I, I get it. I don't want to wait no. for a payoff that long. And Well, and that's what honestly turned me off from Supernatural when I first, like, before I started watching it. I had a lot of people recommend Supernatural to me. Yeah. And then I'd be like, uh, this is nine seasons, and most of them are 22 episodes. You want me to watch 220 episodes of TV? <laughs> yes, and you did. Yeah, plus, I know. Plus, plus, plus. Yeah. Um, I enjoy the season overall. I thought they did yep. a lot of really good things. Um, <clears throat> I would 
Like, it's funny because, like, I can immediately tell you what seasons it's immediately ahead of, and that's my two least favorite seasons, which are Five. six and seven. No, six and seven. Evil Cass. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I get that. But, yeah, it's... It, it, it was very good. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was not my favorite thing I watched out of them, but I thought that the finale did a nice enough job of wrapping it up with a bow to where I don't know how they would do anything else in this universe right now. Well, it's nice to see Sam and Dean hang it up. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, so two minutes. I, two minutes of spoilers. I think we need. We only uh, need two minutes. Hold on. Hold on. I'm. I'm. I'm setting the timer. Setting the timer. Uh, I'm going to give us three minutes. I'm not going to need that long. Okay. And if if you don't want to hear this, fast forward three minutes exactly, and you will not hear any spoilers. Richard, I'll let you go first. You definitely have more to talk about. I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, It was a a good finale. There are a lot of people mad online that that Dean died. Um... (laughs) They are really upset that Dean um, went out as a hunter, basically. Yeah. And I have, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, these are two guys who basically fought and kicked and screamed for 15 seasons. And in Dean's case, you know, however many years prior to that. Yeah. And there was really only one way that he was going to end up going out. And it's not like he had to then sit in the afterlife for 30 years waiting for Sam. They already <laughs> Just a said, little drive. <laughs> yeah, they already, I worked differently up here. And then Sam was there for him. Um, so honestly, yeah, I, I enjoyed what they did with that. Um, my only complaint is Dean got a hunter's funeral. I know COVID probably stopped this. There should have been people there mourning. Yeah, like, but everyone was every all their friends were gone again. No, they, they got were, reclaimed. Yeah, was, well, but they should have been brought back when Jack brought everyone back. But no, it, it's, <laughs> but they even said it was irreversible because they were sent to the 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 what the hell do they call that? I they assu- they assumed they were sent back to Apocalypse World, but still, Officer Jody Mills was around. Uh, Donna was around because Donna's who gave uh, Dean's phone number out that's to the on the phone call that Sam got. Like, there were people around who could have been there to mourn, and I would have liked to have checked in with. And I know that's 100% me giving my own personal hopes and expectations <laughs> for the episode. Yeah. But I, <clears throat> that's really my only complaint, and I'm sure it's 100% on COVID. Johnny, have, you have one minute, seven seconds. Oh, this is, this is going to be quick. Greg's going to love this, too, by the way. Hi, Greg. Welcome in. I know you're excited to be part of the Supernatural conversation. Yeah. I have one complaint about this entire episode. It doesn't have to do with the episode. It has to do with you, you son of a bitch. (laughs) It was not on purpose, I swear to God. I have a lot of complaints about you people. And you're going to hear them. I went into this and I was like, I'm not prepared. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to cry. And then I'm going to be angry. Lo and behold, here comes Richard. No, don't worry about it. It's going to be a victory lap. They're just going to celebrate what they've done. And then... Dean wakes up with the dog all happy. Dean gets to go to a friggin' pie festival. At that point, I'm like, Dean's gonna die. And then they do the slow motion shot where they show the spike on the wall and he's backing up with the vampire coming at him. 
And before it even happened, I was on Snapchat typing, Richard, you are a fucking asshole. Because <laughs> then they killed Dean. Hey! Ah! Richard, I hate you. And Ashley, by the way, I, I know she's going to listen to this. She said, we are fighting you at some point. Which means she's going to fight you. I'm just going to sit back and laugh. <laughs> Why would she fight me? You made me upset. You gave me hope. And there was no reason to be hopeful. That made it even worse. That made it even worse because I was like, you know what? It's going to be a celebration. I'm excited. Nothing bad's going to happen. And then Jesus Christ on the cross. Thanks, Richard. Also, I'm glad that they did a callback to the terrible wigs from earlier in the series by giving (laughs) Sam the terrible wig. That I I 100% feel like they did that just to give a nod to the fact that in addition to Arrow, the long-standing joke was how bad the wigs and the hair pieces were. So that made me happy. That's all I got to say. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much it for our Supernatural talk. I'm sure that uh, Greg has things that he'd like to say from his many seasons of watching Supernatural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Uh, so that is pretty much what we got to talk about here. Uh, we are now going to kick into the promised retrospective on Ghostbusters. I only want to hear Greg talk about this. <laughs> well, this he was. <laughs> Greg didn't watch it this week. Nope. <laughs> Greg's Greg's going back with revisionist reviews. That's what we're going to call his segment from now on, revisionist <laughs> reviews, because he's going to review something just based on what he thinks he remembers. No, here's the thing: is everybody makes so much, you know, like has a lot of fond memories of Ghostbusters. I watched it once, and I never wanted to watch it again. That's just how my life is. That's so it funny. It's not like it's. Why couldn't you have mentioned this in the last week plus when I said we're doing Ghostbusters? At no point did this leave your mouth. No point was Greg like, "Eh, I don't want to. Richard, have you ever known me to recommend any movies from the 80s or other than Goonies, maybe? You could have said something. You could have been like, I watched it once. I'll never watch it again. I never said I'd never watch it again. I just never got around to it this week. There's, there's, there's hopefully there's more time I can maybe watch it in the future sometime you work from home <laughs> yeah like I have like 85,000 phone calls and I'm studying for stuff Greg was so excited to watch this he couldn't even put it in another tab this time <laughs> I haven't watched a movie in what two weeks in general <laughs> All right, you guys, Greg. Gonna, you guys are going to talk about it anyway. Yeah, it's just, more of I've I've always I've never been an '80s movie guy. So give us your rundown of Ghostbusters per your ability to recall the events, the story, the arc, the characters, the moments. All I remember is the sliming part. <laughs> no, it's probably in Ghostbusters too. I don't remember. No, that was that was one. It was at the hotel. Oh. It was Slimer when he got Bill Murray. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much all I remember. That and the Marshmallow Man. 
That is very fair. That is very, very fair. Past that point, what's the important points of that movie? I, I st- the entire movie! I mean, that's valid, but like you watch it because start to finish, it's filled with some laughs. It's got some good humor stuff. There's some adult themes in there. I'm still a little shocked that kids watch this in the 80s, though. Because yeah. we're looking at this through the lens of like 2020, and we're like, oh man, my six-year-old kid could watch this because HBO has Game of Thrones. <laughs> but like you go back, I mean, that's it's kind of I think, Richard, I believe you haven't even gotten to the Deathly Hollows yet because you know that Julie's probably gonna be like not in a suitable place to watch those. Goblet of Fire went very poorly. <laughs> I I did read that quickly. Um, so it's interesting uh, to see how desensitization can go through generational, like trickle down almost a little bit where it's, we look at this now and it's like, this is just something we put on at Halloween. My four-year-old niece is there and it's fun because everyone's having fun and it doesn't even phase her because I, I could even argue that there's things in the frozen films that are probably scarier than what happens in Ghostbusters outside of the first scene, which I do want to talk about. Alice Drummond plays a librarian. Oh, I, yeah. got a, I got a little bit of a quick question for you. Do you remember the other film that she was in that made you laugh? Ace Ventura, pet detective, Ray Finkel's mom. Yep. <laughs> um, so it's, and she does such she does such a good job. And I think some people confuse her with the actress that was in Happy Gilmore that played Happy's grandmother. I think oh, yeah. like sometimes people get those two two very different actresses. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I, I enjoyed it as a kid. I watch it every Halloween. Uh I don't <laughs> I probably didn't need to watch it again this week, but I'm doing due diligence. For so myself, I, I watched it for Greg. I got this. I served right. as a proxy. So here's the thing. You watch it as uh, as like a tradition. Like you watch it multiple times and you have reasons to watch it. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. If you look from, from a perspective of somebody that wasn't taken by the movie, why would you put it into a tradition? Then? <laughs> yeah, no one's I'm, asking you to put it into a tradition. It's not, not putting, not, uh, don't take it that way. That's how we feel about thinking, Braveheart. There's people that watch Braveheart like at the same time every year to celebrate weird Scottish holidays. I, I know this is going to sound funny. I don't care about Braveheart. I've, it was, it was an okay movie. I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it again. Well, I'm not motivated. Like a movie like that for me would be like uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, like the 2001, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not it's not particularly a good movie. It yeah. just has it's like a sentimental value, or it was like the first time you saw a movie, a, a first adaptation of that book type thing. <clears throat> right. It's like one of the first books you read, or like one of the books I've read. So yep, it was just it was that's the reason why it <clears throat> it's important to me. Very like Harry Potter is a good another good series. I read the books, I watched the movies, I liked both. Okay. We went to London, we went to the Harry Potter world. Mm-hmm. Like, this stuff's it's amazing. You know, I hopefully hope had better situations last next time I go there. But it's you know it, it, it has to have a some sentimental value for me. Yeah. So for you it's a little bit tough to go back. Right. It, it doesn't it, it's like watching an old, you know, uh mid mid season Reds game. <laughs> see now i understand that because i don't want to watch a game i've already seen 
Right. It's <laughs> it's not that you know I still obviously have a soft spot in my heart for the Reds, but I don't yeah. follow baseball anymore. Yep. You know, it's it's not that you know I hope them ill will or I want anything bad to happen to them. It's just you know it's just you don't care. I don't it's, care. I, it's, just, I, I watched. There's about a million things you'd rather do with three hours of a day than sit there and watch a Reds game that. Because I mean, really, from the last, other than the Jay Bruce walk off, how many other games were there? The Homer Bailey no hitters. Nobody wants to watch that. They hate Homer Bailey. Right. So it's it's with Ghostbusters to bring this back around to where we were trying to go with it. Um, I I do understand where you're coming from, especially if you don't have a vested interest in that and you didn't have that interest in it when it first came out. Whereas I think for Richard and I, like that was a film as kids that like it was more than that. That was probably because Jurassic Park came after like long after. So for me, this was probably the first thing that was marketed to kids as well outside of the films with the toy line that like, I remember for a fact, I had all the Ghostbusters toys. So I, I, I wonder how much of the appreciation of nostalgia that I have for this film ties in directly to like those endorphins from when you get a toy as a kid. You know what I mean? Because like without those toys, would I have had as much time invested? Probably not. I can tell you right now, those stupid toys that had the little like chomping ones, those damn things hurt my fingers, man. <laughs> they wouldn't approve those toys now with that spring action biting. Hell no. That's that's multiple lawsuits. So yeah, it's we don't get anything now. Yeah, so I mean for me, I almost wonder if the appreciation for this film and the history of it is more or less tied to the feelings I had that they established through marketing with the toys lends itself to more because I didn't even really watch the cartoon. I didn't really care for it. I didn't there wasn't that establishment. When the video came out or the video game came out, they re they remade it for PS4, correct? Yes, they did. But they came out, it was originally PS3? Yeah, it was a PS3 slash 360 game. See, and I just, I, so I know this is going to sound funny. I care enough to watch it once a year at <clears throat> Halloween. I don't care that much about it to go and like buy a video game to like live through the characters. Because I know there is people that do that and I get it. I, I do get it. Um, it's just I, I will me. tell you, if you haven't played that video game, it is actually worth playing because they got the entire original cast back for the voice stuff. But again, so, that doesn't, I just, I don't know. I guess I'm like, I think I'm halfway somewhere between Greg and Richard on this. where like, I'm invested to a point, but not willing to go past that. Cause it's just like, I don't have the, I don't have Ghostbuster Funko Pops. Eh, I do. <laughs> See, I, I, Zero. Like, and if I saw them, I don't care. I still have my original Stay Puft Marshmallow Man figure. I'll probably never get rid of it because I think that's the last one that I have. But that's just something that I hope I can maybe give to one of my kids to give to them where it can be something that, like, I can enjoy with them down the road as well. So for me, it's I. there's definitely a statute of limitations on my love for Ghostbusters. It doesn't really extend beyond I feel like it's a good Halloween flick. Because it's got comedy, it's a little bit scary. It just it works well. I love Bill Murray. I'm not a big Dan Aykroyd fan, and any chance we get to see Rick Moranis, I think we have to be able to appreciate it. But outside of the Halloween viewings, this is probably the first time I've watched it outside of Halloween in close to ten or fifteen years. 
I'm probably I'm, I'm relatively similar to that. I, I will yeah. say I watch it probably a little more well, a little more off kilter than on Halloween, but it's generally around the Halloween time. It's, yeah. it, it you know, the whole dealing with ghosts, it does become largely a Halloween movie for me. Yep. Um, that being said, um, there are, you know, there, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm 100% invested and I have to have everything to, to do with Ghostbusters, um, but there are things that do definitely catch my attention. I liked the Funko Pops. I thought they were amazing. I loved the Stay Puft Marshmallow one. It's probably my favorite of the quote-unquote cute pops. Right. Um, but that means, you know, with that, I, I do love this movie. Um, it originally, it came out in 1984, so I would have been three years old. I know I obviously did not see it when I was three, mm-hmm. um, but I did watch this quite a bit when I was a kid. Um, and now that we've basically just spent 10 minutes talking about how one of us refuses to watch it and the other one doesn't <laughs> like it that much, oh, I don't really have a lot of energy. I don't like it that Jesus. <laughs> No, nice spin, looking... Fox. Thanks for spinning that story. Jesus. Good. I was Lord. actually looking forward to you know because I I do like listening to you two talk about things like this because it maybe <laughs> gives me a perspective. I want to go watch it now, mm-hmm. like uh like it was for um all oh, that movie, the Harley Quinn movie, Birds which I about Birds of Prey. Really <laughs> like that movie. The Harley Quinn and the film title that was way too long to put on a poster. Exactly. <laughs> you know, just from the YouTube, YouTube talking about it, I went and watched it. Yeah. You know, maybe I can look at it from a different perspective, but my current perspective on it is I don't see the point to watch it. Indifferent. I have, I'm indifferent on it and I have other things that I need to do mm-hmm. that are more pressing. Like even putting it on, putting it on my second screen. It's just, because I, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to give it the time it needs or, you know, because it's supposed to, it's, you guys really like the movie. So I don't see why I would not just put it on, maybe, you know, focus on it a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, originally Ghostbusters released in 1984. Uh, it had a budget of between 25 to $30 million uh, and brought in around $285 million at the global box office. Uh, at the time, it was seen as a bit of a gamble to make the movie because it was the first comedy that needed high-dollar special effects. They weren't yeah. sure if they were going to make back the money. Um, with that, uh, some of the more kind of interesting things with it, um, Dan Aykroyd originally wrote the script, wrote the first script, um, and he was very heavily pushing for it to star himself, Eddie Murphy and John Belushi. Uh, this, of course, all kind of got kiboshed when John Belushi accidentally died. Um, and with that, uh, they kind of went back and kind of reworked everything from the beginning. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest change to it was it was originally set in a farmhouse and was going to involve time travel. uh so they were going to be it was basically supposed to be one big long movie uh 
fighting Stay Puff Marshmallow Man level baddies in different periods of time. Uh, that obviously didn't end up working out. Uh, and basically, they ended up going around and contacting Bill Murray. He agreed to join the project, but look, I love Bill Murray. I am very happy I will never have to work with Bill Murray on anything because he seems like an absolute insane person to try to get involved in your project. <laughs> um, he never signed an, an explicit agreement that he would be in the movie. On his first day of filming, he showed up and Ivan Reitman took him on a tour of their studio area and wasn't sure he had read the script. <laughs> well, but hold on. He's a guy, he's, he's an improv champion. That's Bill Murray. You can't expect an improv guy to come in and be like, yeah, I'm going to read your script verbatim. Apparently, though, the majority of Bill's lines were actually written by Aykroyd and Ramis. But see, that makes sense to me. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just one of those things where, like, could you imagine having to tiptoe around that? Like, uh, this is going to be the firehouse. Did you read the script? Well, uh, <laughs> this thing is going to be the car. Did you read the script? It probably doesn't work if it's Aykroyd exclusively writing. But if you have someone like Ramis, who I'm pretty sure already had an established rapport with Bill Murray ahead yeah. of this. And Ramis is not a slow human being, man. So, I mean, he probably knows the ins and outs of what makes Bill Murray tick enough to the point that he could write a role that Bill's going to feel like this is something he would do anyway. So, I mean, because they were on a lot of projects together for a long time. Yep. So by the time Ghostbusters came out, Harold Ramis had already written Animal House, Meatballs, Caddyshack. So two of those with Bill Murray. Now Stripes, that's three. And then he was credited as a co-writer on uh, Ghostbusters. So there, it's. <clears throat> I am curious to see if it was mostly Ramis that wrote the lines for Murray, because I can't feel like Aykroyd would have had as much of a thumb on the pulse of that character or the actor. Uh, it's possible. Um, just out of curiosity, I'm curious what, uh, yeah, he, well, I mean, he did write the blues brothers. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't, Take away. I, I don't knock. Um, I don't knock Ackroyd's uh, writing quite as much as it, as it sounds like you might. I think Ackroyd was still a pretty good writer overall. Hmm. All um, of my issues with Ackroyd have nothing to do with professional Dan Ackroyd. It has everything to do with Ackroyd away from the screen. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I've only met the man once, and I liked him quite a bit. He was very nice. This is we don't need to talk about it on the podcast because I don't want to like sway other people's perception of Dan Aykroyd based on my firsthand experience of the human being. So there you go. If anyone has any desire to know, you can ask Richard after I talk to him and Greg about it. Because <laughs> I don't feel like getting hit with a libel thing at any point, even though it's factual. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Fuck. Um. So, getting into this, they kind of they kind of hit you with a shotgun blast to the face right out of the gate, which does a really good job. It segues well to the credit roll and everything else that they build to this film. As I said before, it's Alice Drummond, right? 
That's what you said. I, I assume you're right. So it is. It's Alice Drummond. It's her in a library. She's flipping through the, what do they call those things? Not a Rolodex, but it's like the cue cards. Yeah. And then all the drawers come out. They fly. It's This is the beauty of practical effects, by the way. Because it's it no looks great. Yeah, because you watch this and they do a similar thing at the start of the reboot weird Chris Hemsworth Ghostbusters. <laughs> Which is blows my mind because they had the cast for the reboot. They had a perfect cast for that reboot. And what yeah, did they do with it? Squat. So it, I still, I think that's why I love this because there's such a great mesh similar to Star Wars of practical and special effects. Mm-hmm. They do a really good job of this. The only other film I felt that they did really well in that regard would have been Scrooged with Bill Murray as well. Where it was, oh, they, yeah. they, they had that mesh, that really good blend of practical and special effects that allow you to kind of build a universe that you feel you are watching play out on screen. When his, uh, when his old boss shows up and he has, he's all decaying and he has the golf ball come out of his eye. <laughs> yeah. Also one of my recommendations for Christmas. If you've never seen it, Scrooge, Bill Murray, such a great film. Um, I really felt they did a good job because that was probably the biggest jump scare you have through the whole film. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't feel like there was another. So the nice thing about this is that I like, they took you to that point. They got your heart rate up. And then the rest of the film just kind of nicely segues into like a steady blend of humor, a little bit of, Oh man, that's not good. And then just more humor. <laughs> um, I, I, I still enjoy watching this. I, I feel like it's a movie at points that just kind of starts to drag a little tiny bit. There's just a few moments that I feel it slows down a little too much. It's not a bad thing. I it's The introduction of Ernie Hudson was good. Yeah. Annie Potts is great. Yep. Again, Rick Moranis. It's... Rick Moranis... <laughs> I don't want to make this comparison, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's that line that like people say about Ric Flair is that you could give him a mop and he'd have a five-star match. Yeah. I feel like Rick Moranis is the equivalent as an actor because he will make the most out of whatever you give him. And he's just such got a natural aura about him that like you love the guy and you want to know what his character's doing. But him, he's the accountant, right? In this film, yeah. he plays an accountant. And he has the party, and I'll let you kind of take over from here. It's where we get the introduction of the dogs? The hellhounds? To yeah. To back to Supernatural? <laughs> no, it, yeah, it's nothing to really knock it, but there does it does feel like there's a little too much time spent on the Lewis Tully character early on. So that's one of my times where I felt like they just kind of spent too much time doing it. And I and I understand they wanted to give you some sort of like emotional connection to him. So when he was being turned into a dog, you wanted to see him not. Yeah. Um, the scene with him um, beating on the glass of the restaurant as the dogs are chasing him mm-hmm. that cracks me up. Uh, and everything after he's taken by the keymaster. Uh, so you know when he's starting to kind of lose it, I, I freaking loved that. um but yeah no he's you know he's her little like quirky neighbor and there's just 
just a little too much time yeah. around the party. I don't need to know that like Rick Moranis is the cuck. <laughs> I, I don't I don't need that component of the film because he he loves her character. Like he's in love with her. And he keeps asking her, like, hey, come over to my party, come over. And then Bill Murray just walks in with his weird hairline balding thing. And I was like, what? But at the same time, is he really? Because he seems like he has got a thing going on with the tall blonde that was way out of Lewis's league. Well, come on, they both are. Which makes us yeah, sound like I... really shitty people. I'm sorry. I feel like I should take that back. The guy's smart. He's funny. He's kind of a weird dude with his gym the... routine and his diet thing. I don't know. Good for Look, him. The, the, the way that he's played, he is a very quirky dude. Yeah. So, you know, for a tall blonde in, like, 80s workout gear to be, like, (laughs) dancing with him later, it's like, okay, you know what? Good for you, Lewis. You really outkicked your coverage here, buddy. But then his character kind of brings (laughs) up a good point, is that I think one of the strengths of this film is the supporting cast are fantastic in this. Yeah. Not the least of which, and I, I know the name William Atherton is not going to like bring up a lot of memories for anybody, but that guy had some of the most, I want to punch you in the face until yeah. the red water comes out characters of the 1980s. Yeah, I mean, uh, so just to bring anyone up to speed who may not immediately know who William Atherton is, he was Walter Peck in Ghostbusters, which is the EPA guy who tried to <laughs> shut him down. He was also Richard Thornburg in Die Hard and Die Hard 2. Yep. Um, he was also the, I mean, I guess I'm going to call him evil, the evil professor in Real Genius. Like, it's it, it's a little bit of a crack up because... Oh, like, come on. You're going to skip, you're going to gloss over his number one, like, villain, weird... I just lost my shit roll. Dr. Yeah. From Faulkner, man. Yeah. Come on. He just loses it. Like he starts, what did something to do with his own shit? What did he do? Oh, he had to rifle through it to find a key. He went through Pauly Shore's crap. No, was it Baldwin? Baldwin ate the key. Baldwin ate the key. Yeah. And then they find out he found the key by going through Baldwin's poop. (laughs) So he, but he's got such that smarmy face. Like, he has what I affectionately refer to as a very punchable face. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like he he does an amazing job of being just an absolute, complete, and utter dick. He's such an '80s villain. Like he's such an eight. Like not even villain. He reminds me of the character of Kevin Bacon at the start of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Just that tr- typical '80s blowout hair. Probably wears a weird scarf with like his suit. You just want to punch him in the face. So pay attention to that character. Um, if you if you want to see a masterclass in how to make the most of very little screen time, Atherton is one of the absolute best at being able to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I, I I do I do really like um, I do really like William Atherton. I thought he did an amazing job in this. Um, he is still with us. He's actually 73 now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, has not done a whole lot of work recently. Looks like his last credit was in 2017 and a documentary in 2019, remembering Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he is, he, 
he does an amazing job between the, take everything else out of it, this and Die Hard. He plays such an absolute prick in both of them. <laughs> and the thing is, like, if you really look at it, Walter Peck is right to be wondering what the hell's going on here. Yep. I mean, they basically tell him they have a nuclear reactor in their basement. <laughs> and, but they won't go into a whole lot of details about how anything works. Like, they're dicks to him. Yep. He's right. He does what probably should be done if this were real life. But you still hate him for it. He's just, he's such an absolute asshole to the point where when all the marshmallow goo falls from the sky and lands on him, you're just like, yeah, that's what you get. <laughs> it's, uh, and without him, having the interaction that he has with the mayor played by, oh. Oh, God. Um, David. Oh, uh, come on. Yep. I'm going to have to look it up. I shit. He, so oddly enough, he was also in Ace Ventura pet detective. So the mayor and the woman at the library, yes. both in yeah. Ace Ventura. Um, it's again, you, you have character actors that I, I, I don't know, man, if you are going to be a supporting cast, I think this is a good film to be able to watch, to realize like, how best to make the most out of a small amount of screen time. I, it never ceases to amaze, even right down to the concierge at the hotel. You know what it like? It's all of these little pieces contribute because there's at no point where you kind of get in films now where you're like that character, like that was not good. I, I don't feel like there was a drop off in casting choices from the start of the film to the end even right down to the scene with Bill Murray administering the test to the two students. Yep. Like when he's given them the electroshock response, when they get a wrong answer, the guy that's doing it, like you feel like he's actually angry about this right now. Yeah. Uh, mayor Lenny was the mayor and he was played by David Margulies, which I gotta be honest, I probably would not have pulled from anywhere. Yeah. And he was the Ghostbusters mayor and the Ghostbusters 2 mayor. Yep. So, I mean, again, going back to this, I think one of the strengths of this film, other than the sound and the effects, the supporting cast were great. And I mean, casting, you know, second choices aside, I I don't think in the construction of this film, it's not a bad movie. It's probably one of the better movies to come out of the 80s. And I mean, as far as the way it was crafted and constructed and like the way they built the entirety of this like existing universe within the context of New York city. And you have some very uniquely New York moments going on in this film as well, which is kind of mm-hmm. nice. And I mean, the fire hall they used is still there. People, this is like a landmark in the city of New York that people visit on, like when they go, let's talk about that for a second. Okay. So I ended up in New York. Um, <laughs> I want to say two years ago, maybe three. Right. Three, three years ago. Um, I ended up in New York three years ago and I was like real adamant. Like we look, I don't know the subway system and taxi cabs were like a billion dollars to go 10 feet. So I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to walk. Greg's happy. He skipped out on a cab experience with you again. Um, so I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll walk around. So, you know, it's me and the missus walking around downtown New York. 
and uh, Manhattan. And so I'm like, I immediately pull up my GPS and I'm like, where's Ghostbusters Firehouse? <laughs> so I could not remember which hook and ladder it was. Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, I bet that I can find it just by typing in Ghostbusters Firehouse. And sure enough, it came immediately up. Mm-hmm. And it was like 13 blocks away or something like that. Which in New York is a very long distance. Didn't matter. I was walking around New York. <laughs> I, there's a lot of stuff to see. So me, me and the missus are talking about, you know, going to Little Italy, going to the Ghostbusters area. We start walking. And she's like, I figured we'd see some Italian things by now. And I'm like, <laughs> we're not going to Little Italy right now. We're going to the Ghostbusters house. And she's just like, what? <laughs> We've walked, walked like eight blocks. I'm like, yeah, only five more. Come on. <laughs> so we're, we're sitting there walking and I'm like, I'm super duper excited. I'm like, I can't wait to get there. And we're like a block away. And I'm literally walking down the block that it's on. It's on a corner, which, you know, you know that from the movie. Yeah. And I just see all of this construction equipment. Like they've covered the side of the building that I'm walking next to. And I'm like, okay, this is great. We're almost there. It's right at the end of this street. And then I realized the building that I was walking next to was the building that was at the end of the street. (laughs) It was under refurbishment while we were there. So literally we walked like 13 blocks to see a building that was covered in like green tarps almost entirely. <laughs> um, you could see like a bit of it and they they had some a really nice little like street mural with like a combination of the FDNY logo and the Ghostbusters logo inside of it. Yep. But it was just like really <laughs> This is this is the first time in my life I've been in New York. I just walked 13 blocks. And are you kidding me? So anyway. Congratulations. You saw tarps. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, we did, however, um, walk over to the 55 Central Park West building where Dana lived and Lewis lived. That'd so we got pretty- to see that and the church that Stay Puff stepped on. <laughs> Uh, good old Stay Puff, the good old Scandinavian boy. <laughs> um, favorite scene in this film? Rob, you're trying, market, you're trying to market this film. You get a single. Here's your teaser footage. What hmm. teaser footage are you using? I don't think I would use this to market it, but it's my favorite scene, and it's the arrival of Stay Puffed. Okay. Um, you know, everyone just kind of losing their shit as this giant marshmallow man comes through the city. I I don't think in contact, out of context that it works that well. Like, I think that if you had no idea of the rest of the movie and you hadn't seen the tone that they'd spent, you know, the previous two hours setting up that you don't really connect with it. But in the context of the movie, I think it works incredibly well. The two or three minutes before and the two or three minutes after the line with Egon and warning them not to cross the streams. Oh yeah. Cause I just think that's funny. It's like, don't cross the streams. Like there's some subtext that there for most guys where it's like, it happens. So I just, that, that one cracks me up. I think like that's, that's a good way to just reach a wide enough audience. Um, the closing scenes, I mean, it's the soundtrack works well. The 
they did everything really well. There's some moments at the end with the effects where you can see the layers of the different bits that they've used. And like, you kind of see it with the old star Wars films too, where you like, you can see the box around the ship as it flies through the screen. Yeah. Because they haven't meshed the colorization with it yet. So, so it's, it's kind of like if I was to take a piece of cellophane and slide it across a projector, you'd see my hand, but you'd still kind of see that little piece of cellophane as it went right. across as well. So my only knock, and I mean, it's not even really a knock because there's nothing they could do. They, they maximize the potential of the technology at the time. I don't think there's a component of this film that is bad. And you have people who have never seen the film that can tell you what the Ghostbusters theme and what the Ghostbusters song is. Right. And to me, that means it has made its impact in pop culture. It is definitely, I feel like there's some stuff. It's a Smithsonian where they collect cultural artifacts, right? Uh, yes. I am a hundred percent certain there's pieces from this film that are in the Smithsonian because that's how relevant this is to our North American pop culture. And I think it even, I don't think it has the impact overseas that it does here, maybe in England a little bit, but I don't think it has the same appeal in some of the European countries and stuff that it would have had here. But it's, you know, if, if we look back and the worst thing we can say about this film is that it is an iconic moment in cinematic history, I think they've done their job, man. Yeah. Um, they, this film definitely was a, a phenomenon when it came out. Um, like I said, this is a movie that was made on give or take a $30 million budget and ended up making better part of $300 million when it was all said and done. Yeah. It spawned a direct sequel as well as a reboot sequel and a new direct sequel that is currently scheduled for release next year. So Not to mention, it's out. probably the second franchise outside of Star Wars that had such a massive merchandising plan. Yeah. And I could, I could not tell you other than maybe until like GI Joe, I don't know, like that, that's kind of a different realm because it wasn't like something from film that spawned this entire universe, the way that star Wars and ghostbusters and maybe until Jurassic park. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. Look at it now. If you go to, and I'm just going to throw out a, a name here at Walmart Mm-hmm. And you walk through their graphic tee section or <laughs> Old Navy or basically any store that sells graphic tees, JCPenney. The Ghostbusters you, t-shirt's going to be there. Yeah, you will find at least one Ghostbuster t-shirt. You'll find Star Wars t-shirts. You'll find Jurassic Park t-shirts. Yeah. And you'll find those at all three of those stores. Yeah. Anything else? Maybe. It's rota- It's That kind of like goes through the peaks and valleys of whatever is... Yeah, you, you'll, you'll find Superman and Batman and you'll find, you know, other stuff like that. But with a, a cultural impact to the point where, I mean, we're talking about it is 36 years later and they're still selling T-shirts with that logo. <laughs> you know what? I've never owned a Ghostbusters T-shirt. Uh, I have owned one. I like as much as we say this, I had the figures. I, I even mentioned oh, yeah. that coming in. But like, I just, you know how you go through a store and this maybe happens to you where you're like, oh man, like look at that Batman shirt or for whatever. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it happens less and less as I get older, which understandable. But as much as the marketing for me now, if they did a relaunch of that Ecto-1, so, okay, here's a good, 
Lego, prime example. If there was a better Lego Ecto-1 kit out there right now, because I don't think they relaunched it. They had it, but it's been, it's no, bolted, it's, right? It, it's, no, it's out. Yeah, but it's, I'm not paying that for now. I have more interest <laughs> in getting the Lego kit. I'm not paying that money. <laughs> it's, I'm. I have more interest in something that like I can build and like actually put the time into to have representative instead of just here's a t-shirt. Cause how often am I going to wear that shirt? You know what I mean? Whereas if I have like a glass case and I like, I got the glue and I got the light kits that you can buy and I have a Ecto one model with functioning lights on the ambulance. I'm a little more excited about that. But again, it's 36 years later and I still have at least passing interest in some of the merchandising components. They've done a good job. Oh my God. Yeah. Now you see the price of it. Well, no, I don't know how much it's actually worth, what the actual price is for it. That's I'm just a bunch of, no, 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 it just came. They just re-released it. Oh, but not the original one. Yeah. It is the original one. Okay. It's released for, um, it's released in conjunction with Ghostbusters Afterlife. So there you go. It's as much as things change, the more they stay the same. Like I still have a passing interest in that film and the franchise and what it comes with. If you haven't seen this movie, if for <clears throat> the only reason, you know, you see those lists every now and then where it's like, here's 86 films. I bet you haven't seen 90 of these films. I will say this, this should be one of the films that you check off that you have seen when they give you a list of like films that have relevance to our culture, society, as well as like pop culture itself. This, this should be a film you see at least once. Don't have to watch it all the time. Take the time, watch it. I I think current films, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to see things that people pulled from these films that have relevance to today, even now. So you're, you're talking about the figures, which were based off of the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Correct. Which always really just kind of astounded me because the real Ghostbusters cartoons did not look anything like the actual Ghostbusters. (laughs) Um, like that really that I, I never understood that because obviously like Ackroyd and Ramus and I think Ivan Reitman controlled the rights. Yeah. So those two obviously did not have to do anything. Like they could sign off on their likenesses at least. Yep. Um but uh is a t- couple neat little tie-in things with that. Uh Ernie Hudson uh actually went and auditioned to play the Winston character in the real Ghost- Ghostbusters cartoon and did not get it. Yeah. They said he did not sound enough like Winston. <laughs> um, Talk about a guy that's just been like continuously disrespected. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also with the Ghostbuster releases. Like oftentimes he doesn't make the cover. Yeah, like you'll you'll look at Ghostbusters or Ghostbusters two on Blu-ray, and it's just the other three guys. Which is nuts because who's the most approachable member of that entire ensemble? He's at almost every con, which I'm sure has more to do with the fact that he's the role offerings are probably not rolling in for him, but at least he's a presence. He's doing, this is going to sound sacrilegious. He's doing more for the reach of the franchise than the other guys that were involved with it. Uh, Speaking of Ernie Hudson though, Ernie Hudson is a serious worker still to this day. Oh, for sure. 
Um, I just mean like you're not going to see him in like a tentpole franchise like that again. No. Oh, well, yeah, no, he's not going to be like that. Um, but just a, a couple things to kind of touch on with Ernie. Um, going back the last few years, he has had stints on uh, Modern Family. Uh, he has done a whole bunch of different TV shows, including one called Graves, one called ABP. Uh, he did a appearance on The Rock's Baller Show. Um, Grace and Frankie, he did 17 episodes on. Uh, and he was in Puppy Dog Pals, which is making my daughter perk up. <laughs> Um, but he also, I mean, just in general, he has currently four movies that are either in production or completed that have not released yet. Good for him. Well, I'm, uh, glad, I'm glad he's staying active, man. That's because I always, I always felt bad because it just felt like he never got the same billboard space. No, he, I, it's, I, it's weird. But he was the one that was most rooted in reality that I think more people could... Because how many of us are going to be paranormal psychologists and be like, I identify with Venkman very well. I don't even think that's a thing. <laughs> so, um, it, it probably yeah. is. Sorry, I just shit on somebody that does work that doesn't listen to this podcast. But Ernie Hudson was the most identifiable character of the entire team. And the thing with Ernie Hudson is when it was originally written and it was written for um, Eddie Murphy for the role, he was supposed to have a substantially beefed up role. Yeah. Um, when Eddie Murphy had to pass, I don't remember what he was working on at the time, but when Eddie Murphy had to pass, uh, they reduced the role um, and worked to put in more of Bill Murray. Can we get, can we get Dave Chappelle in a reboot? I think if if I remember correctly, he was one of the names that was bantied around for the original Ghostbusters three. That's not surprising. That would have been uh, fantastic. Ghostbusters three <laughs> was originally uh, planned out in the mid nineties and was supposed to be a passing the torch movie. And it was a, basically a bunch of young at the time up and coming. <laughs> comedians. Um, I don't remember all the names directly, but I do very specifically remember that Ben Stiller was one of them. Yeah. Uh, I could no. I can do without that. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Ben Stiller can get behind mm-hmm. the camera and stay there for all I care. Um, other just tidbits. Uh, kind of a funny happenstance. Um, Peter Bankman in the '80s cartoon was voiced by a '80s cartoon voiceover man named Lorenzo Music, who also did Garfield the Cat's voice in Garfield and Friends. <laughs> Fast who is, forward. Who is, yeah. Fast forward by a few years, and Garfield the movie came out, and was then voiced by Bill Murray. <laughs> Bill Murray stole that man's job. <laughs> well, no, Lorenzo was dead. I was just leaving out that bit of a downer. God but. damn it! Cut that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a, just an interesting happenstance that if you watch the cartoons in the eighties, probably you probably realized that when the Garfield movie was coming out, but it was just something that always popped out to me. Um, other than that, the woman in Dan Aykroyd's dream sequence where he, uh, makes love to a ghost is played by his own actual wife, Donna Dixon. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I've got by way of trivia pieces. Um, I just read somewhere that the terror dogs that came to life were actual statue designs based on an old church in Philly. 
Yeah, I could see that. So that's, I mean, <laughs> they were based, so I'm thinking maybe they don't exist anymore, which kind of sucks because that would be pretty cool to hit Philly for a cheesesteak, a ball game, and go see a church because <laughs> that's what people do when they go to Philly. has no relevance otherwise other than, you know, the Liberty Bell and all those other important U.S. historical things. Um, you know, this is, this, again, Greg, I know, I know you're kind of like, you are the polar opposite of Richard on this film, which it's, it's not a bad spectrum. I'm not saying like, you hate this movie, this movie sucks, whatever. You're just, it's, it's not something you're focused on. It's not something you want to spend time on, go back and watch. But I do think that you are the kind of person that maybe would not be that interested, but I think it's important from a cultural standpoint to be able to watch that just to see it and just be like, yeah, I saw it. It was all right because we we need we need the contrasting opinions because it's easy for someone who's like super passionate loves this they're they're diehard fans but that's not everybody and maybe some people are going to hesitate to watch this or haven't seen this and if that's you I I do recommend you at least see it once it's on TV mostly in October I don't think they really play it any other time of year either um I think just go out and see it and I mean. Greg, is there anything about the film that you can recommend if anyone's on the fence about it would be a selling point for them to be able to want to see it or watch it down the road? Probably not. It's just one of those things. Like I I have to be in the mood to watch that type of movie. Right. And it, in the last six months, I'm not really in the mood. Yeah. So. No, that's fair. It's, it's just one of those... Like, I understand that, you know, I would like to go see, you know, the firehouse and some of the places in the movie. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's neat. Cause you know, like I went and saw Abbey road. I'm not a Beatles fan, but I still enjoyed it. <laughs> it's it just, it's, it's a unique experience. Like when you see right. like, you know, worldwide, this location is, you know, very important to a lot of people. Like, oh, yeah. It's an identifiable piece of culture. Right. That's the part that, that interests me. Not so much the movie. Okay. So. No, that's that's cool. You like the behind the scenes sort of stuff to like see where they shot some of the locations. So like mm-hmm. the statues in Philly, if you knew they were there and you were already like on your way, it'd be something like, oh, it'd be kind of cool oh, yeah. to go and like get a picture of those just because like <coughs> that's what they used in this film. I get right. that. Okay. That's the type of stuff I'm more interested in versus like, you know, watching the movie. That's all right. Yeah. But I also have to be in the mood to watch an older movie. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that's pretty universal for you. It doesn't even matter, like Ghostbusters or not. If it's if it's a if it's any older than like nineteen ninety nine to two thousand one, Greg's just kind of like, I mean, if it's on TV and I just need white noise, I'll put it on. Yeah, it's kind that's of that's fair to me. Um, based on what you remember, can you give it a rating? Give us a Greg scale. Smirk. <laughs> Richard, based on the Greg scale, what do you got? Based on the Greg scale? Oh, I'm, I have a full-on smile. <laughs> I watched the whole thing. <laughs> Although it's confusing because sometimes Greg doesn't watch any of it and still smiles because <laughs> he didn't have to watch it. Um, Based on the five-star system, because your 10-star system is stupid. Um, Again, I'm going to have to... I, I, I would... This is going to drive you nuts. I'd put it in the same space as Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I own it. If I feel like it, I'll watch it. But it's not something I go out of my way to put on. Okay. Like pants. 
Oh, I hate pants. <laughs> Nobody likes pants. Nobody. No one is cold outside, maybe. Stay inside. No pants. <laughs> um, anything else to add before we wrap up the prolonged review of a film that most people have probably already watched? Uh, no, I think we're okay. Uh, okay. Anything else from this week at all for you guys before we try to wrap this one up? Greg, is there anything going on in the tech space that we need to know about other than Warcraft released three days? Three? Yep, three days. Three days for the expansion oh, to drop. Two days. It's a Monday. Monday's oh, okay. Um, AMD's graphics cards were, didn't, you know, they launched, but there was a paper launch. They sold out in like two minutes, all of them. I didn't realize there was a big fight between NVIDIA and AMD guys where it was like, now I'm seeing this big online battle between, oh, look, someone doesn't have supply. I don't know what any of that means, but I guess NVIDIA so, people were talking a whole lot of shit to the AMD. This is well, such a preposterous well, gang war that I can't even explain well, it. it. I want to punch everybody in the face. The only reason why it's a big, well, I mean, AMD versus NVIDIA has always been a thing. Not so much recently, but back in the day. That's so um, weird. But the lead marketing person for AMD did two things that were really dumb. Um, <laughs> one was say there was going to be a lot of stock. He said <laughs> they're going to have more than NVIDIA in stock. And two, on the day that everything went out of sale, like instantly, uh, showed his order for one of the cards. So somehow he got an order for one of the cards that nobody could get. Well, and here's the issue with that, well, among other things. NVIDIA, NVIDIA basically didn't have any stock. So AMD could have had six cards, and they'd be like, we have more than NVIDIA. But in general, AMD fans, for some stupid reason, excuse me, spent the last month plus dunking on NVIDIA fans <laughs> over stock. <laughs> um there's a the the PC building um subreddit uh had a had a post hit the front page of Reddit with literally like 50,000 upvotes and it was basically just them shitting all over the fact that AMD was going to have stock and AM and Nvidia didn't <laughs> and, and I, yeah <laughs> it, it, I, I'm just like uh you guys know this card's not out yet, right? Like, oh no, you can't get it from anywhere. <laughs> so we'll see what happens when it actually comes out. This seems a little premature. Oh, you know what? The, one of the best points was AMD is forcing their board partners to to sell a week later. So AMD's launched on the twenty eighth, and then all their board partners can't sell their custom boards until the. Well, excuse me. AMD sold on the eighteenth. And then the board partners will go on the 23rd. So there's another batch of cards coming on the 23rd that are made by, that are custom cards like the Strix cards or the Aorus cards type stuff that are going to be released. But all the, uh, all the partners have been saying like, we didn't get a ton of, you know, ton of chips. Like they don't have a lot of, you know, of the new graphics pieces to put on there. So they're a micro center near us only got three cards where when on the launch of the NVIDIA card, they got 10, you know, not a ton, but still more cards. 
and NVIDIA cards have been coming in stock readily. Like they've been coming, they've been available. You know, I finally got mine. It took me what eight, nine weeks, but I still got it. And they're still extremely hard to get. Um, but NVIDIA seems to be pumping out more cards versus AMDs. Like, hey, we're going to have a ton of these. And then there's literally less. There's there's some retailers online in like Canada and Europe that didn't get any. Like literally <laughs> zero. So, well, we got a 30% delay on everything we get. So, I mean, conversion currency exchange rate. Right. Well, I mean, there, there's even... Even in the UK, they were still obviously a shortage. Um, the only thing they did deliver on was the stock for their processors. Mm-hmm. Um, like at, at Micro Center, they had, I know how many they had of the 5800X, because that's what I got, and I got the actual last one. There's 56 of them they got. Yeah. Um, the, the the big one, the 12-core one, they, they only got like a 24 of them. But they had like 110 of the 5600s, which is the baseline one. <coughs> okay. Which, you know, they did really well on, this, on the processors, but horribly on the graphics card. And then the AMD fanboys are literally just crushing them right now. So like, what you're going to tell me is that there's going to be a West Side Story gang fight. But it's going to be a lot of Mountain Dew. I think of it more along the lines of the um, Anchorman fight yeah. with all the different news teams. But less weapons. There's not going to be real. It's going to be, it's it's LARPing weapons with a West Side Story style gang fight. That's what it right. is. <laughs> and I, I think halfway through Intel shows up <laughs> and then feeling left out, the PS5 and Xbox fanboys show up. Yeah. An Explorer shows up at the web, at the same site in about six years and they're like, hey, we're here for the fight. Well, yeah. Intel is basically if you look do it as the anchor man, Intel's like the uh the history net network. <laughs> PBS. He's, PBS. He's brick. Yeah. He's brick. He's brick. <laughs> well brick brick killed a guy. But <laughs> with a grenade. <laughs> no, a trident. 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 It was a trident, yeah. Oh, it's just a grenade when he pulls the pin and he's just like walking yeah. around screaming. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, there's just there's so much this is the it was kind of we knew we knew this was gonna happen. Yeah. Um that's why I didn't put a lot of faith in getting an AMD card. Um, right. Even though the benchmarks are showing a lot of good stuff. Um, the only issue with the AMD cards currently is this generation there. They don't have any hardware based ray tracing them like tensor or like cores that are specific to ray tracing. Okay. So anything that's, that has ray tracing on it uh, performs, it relies on the calculations of the card, which makes mm-hmm. it, not perform nearly as well as the, the NVIDIA card. Okay. Um, it'll be, it'll probably be two or three generations before they get to, you know, 4K, 120, you know, 120 FPS. Yeah. Um, with ray tracing turned on without using some AI based sampling. But that's that all sounds very, very awesome. I don't have any idea what any of it means, but I'm uh, sure there's going to be people listening that are like, oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, it's just it's typical of how like the the way it's basically the reflections. So, okay. when you when you're in a game, um, and you have an explosion happens off screen, right now it, it's up to the developer to programming it in. But with ray tracing, they can use something that'll automatically put that explosion like the if it flares up onto the screen, you'll see it. 
Right. So it just allows for calculations that are done off the screen to affect the on-screen, you know, like sunlight or shadows or that stuff is going to be a lot more accurate. Okay, that's fair. That that makes a little more sense. Um, so hopefully this massive World War Three over whatever from AMD and NVIDIA resolves itself without violence. <laughs> Who knows with these guys? This is so preposterous. Well, I mean, if, 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 AMD, if the AMD fanboys weren't donking on the NVIDIA guys for so long, it it wouldn't be as bad as it, it is now. Which is ironic because I would be willing to bet big money that nobody on either side of this fight is literally dunking anything but biscotti in a coffee. I don't think they're on biscottis. They're doing like uh, Oreos and Mountain Dew. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that sounds so awful. <laughs> Speaking of awful things to dunk, powdered sugar donuts, orange juice is delicious. Do it. Okay, we're going to end this because I'm just... This is like me doing the Grandpa Simpson walk into the bar and turn around and walk back out again on this conversation because this is disgusting. Um, if they want to get a hold of Richard and make fun of him for not doing that ever again, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, Richard versus. And Greg, if they want to get a hold of you and discuss a little bit more of what's going on between... <laughs> I can't even think of like good, like the Crips and the Bloods of the tech world. How can they get a hold of you? At Will Gregory. And if you want to give me any other recommendations about what is terrible to dunk into something else terrible, you can get a hold of myself at our Twitter handle for the podcast at versus podcast with the underscore. Outside of that, winter's coming. Stay safe, everybody. Keep shoveling. Richard, send them home. Have a good week, everybody.